Welcome to Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. Every Wednesday morning here on the Morning News Feed, we check in with David Grising, President and CEO of the BGA, and he's back here with us. David, good morning. Good morning, Jim. Well, once again, we're in a situation where we are in the midst of hearings on congressional redistricting, more being held today. There's one planned in Springfield for tomorrow, and it's uh, an interesting process since we haven't seen even the first scrap of a draft map for these congressional districts, while in the meantime, there's an ongoing legal battle over the legislative districts that were given revised final approval just a few short weeks ago. David, is this any way to run a redistricting process? <laughs> no. no, it's not. And on top of what you mentioned, uh, the public has voted with their feet. And in a couple of hearings, we've had, uh, you know, like one uh, representative from Change Illinois, the group that is most involved in the remapping process, the advocacy group. Uh, as you pointed out, there's a lawsuit against uh, the legislative, the um, state legislature's maps. Uh, you know, there are actually two, one, one predictable one from the uh, Republican leadership, but the other is from the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, which is claiming that uh, Latino uh, residents of the state are not adequately represented. And the real uh, kind of drama with regard to the congressional maps will be, uh, will there be a, an additional, a second uh, Latino-dominant um, district in the state of Illinois. So there's a lot going on. Uh, the public has not had any meaningful participation. It was as we saw with the state uh, legislative maps. Uh, yes, there were hearings and people actually participated in them. But at the end of the day, the Democratic Party went behind closed doors and drew maps that they thought would give them the biggest advantage. Which, again, is kind of how we've always done it here in, in Illinois. You know, it, it is so interesting in that we've had uh, Republican members of uh, of Congress who have uh, railed against this process and talked about how unfair it is. And yet their own party is doing this in states where they have control. And they seem to be not at all concerned about it there, too. Is this something that ultimately needs to be tackled at the federal level and to have federal legislation that says... Uh, these maps have to be drawn in a fair and impartial and a nonpartisan way, regardless of what state you're in and what party's in charge of it? Yeah, there seems to be little incentive for the leading party in any state uh, to move toward the sort of reforms that the BGA and others have um, advocated for, specifically uh, drawing maps by independent commissions uh, that are not dominated or run entirely, as in Illinois, by political parties, really the dominant political party. Um, that sort of public participation is meaningful. The rest is just a dog and pony show. And um, it's evident, as you point out, that this is not really happening on a state-by-state -state level with just a few exceptions where, where it's been implemented. But that's the true reform. That's what would take uh, partisan gerrymandering uh, or reduce partisan gerrymandering in the system. The trouble is the Supreme Court, in its most recent ruling, has declared map mapping, making a political function and said they're going to stay out of it. And so um, we're not going to see a, a fix from the courts. It would happen to need to happen through the legislature. And, of course, in this world, uh, in Congress, in the U.S. Congress, um, it's hard to get agreement on anything. And it's really highly unlikely you're going to get agreement uh, on 
a nationwide mandate on map making. David, it's always struck me, too, that this is one of those issues, and, and I think term limits is sort of the same thing, too, that people say, yeah, we're all in favor of it. It sounds great on paper, but when push comes to shove, people frequently reelect people who have been in office for decades, uh, and they they say, yeah, we want fair maps, but ultimately it, it's not the sort of issue that seems to really motivate voters or is going to determine who people send back to the legislature next year or who they send and packing. Uh, is there any way we, the people, can influence this? Well, it doesn't appear so. We, you know, we've had groups like ourselves in Change Illinois to do the best to rally people around this issue, and we've had very little success. Changes had very little success as well. The most ambitious effort in the state of Illinois is being done as we speak by Change Illinois to try to influence the um, uh, drawing of aldermanic maps up in Chicago. They've, in fact, instituted a shadow sort of uh, um, independent commission that is drawing its the, the its own maps but that process seems to have gotten little public interest or participation and so there doesn't other other than uh, voting to send people you know to uh, not send people back to Congress who don't support maps um, that's that's the most we can hope for and as we've just pointed out that's uh, not going to so far doesn't seem to be taking root. What's really interesting uh, for your listenership is is you're going to be your representation in the U.S. Congress is going to be very much affected by all of this. Uh, Rod Davis's ward um, or uh, district is really the one that's most threatened in the remapping here in Illinois. Uh, a new district is being kind of drafted that would include Champaign, Normal, Springfield, and Edwardsville in an effort to uh, create sort of a Democrat-leaning district downstate. And um, if Rod Davis's district is is drawn out of existence, it's highly likely he would not highly likely, but it is likely that he might run for governor. So this has real-world implications in terms of uh, what happens in the government and politics of the state of Illinois. Yeah, I know there's been some speculation because we already have a Democrat who has announced for that 13th district and uh, and talking about how she wants to challenge Rodney Davis, and people are wondering, does she have inside information? Does she know what's going on? <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's been talks they could draw try to draw Davis into uh, a district with Mary Miller to see who can out-Trump the other. Uh, there, there's a lot of ways it could play out, and boy, it would be great to be able to see a, a draft of a map uh, more than just a few hours before a vote is taken in the General Assembly, but nobody here at least is holding our breath on that. It's full disclosure with the Better Government Association. David Greising is the president and CEO. Uh, David, it's, it's interesting that on my uh, Facebook memories this morning, I popped up from several years ago how Governor Bruce Rauner was hoping to sell the James R. Thompson Center. Well, here we are years later, and uh, we're we're still hoping to uh, divest ourselves of this uh, hulking but run-down state office building on prime real estate in Chicago's Loop, but it's, uh, it seems to have advanced farther than it ever has before with a couple of bidders uh, who have uh, put forward some sort of offer for the property. We don't know yet who they are, what they want to do with it, but we also have a, a fight brewing over whether this is uh, some sort of historically significant property. I haven't been in there for a few years. You've probably been in there more recently. Uh, what do you think? Is this a building at all worth saving for state taxpayers? Well, it, it does. There, there is an argument about the historic significance of it because it's one of Helmut Jahn's uh, signature um, architectural designs. And he was a globally important uh, architecture uh, um, architect and, and before he unfortunately died in a 
crazy bicycle accident um, earlier this year. Um, uh, but your point about Bruce Rauner is kind of interesting because that was one of the most brazen acts of budget fakery uh, when he actually built in $300 million in projected revenue <laughs> from the sale of a building that, that still is on the market. Everybody knew it wasn't going to be sold. Um, and at least now we have a sale process if it's not interrupted by a landmarking um, uh, ploy, we have we have a two what what are said to be viable bidders for this seven story seventeen story building opened in 1985. You no doubt remember when it was opened. The design was such that people actually had lawn umbrellas out because it was so hot. It turned out that it was basically a, a hot house. You could have run a gardening center in there. Um, they fi they fixed some of those issues, uh, and it is. Uh, for a government building, it has a lot of wasted, wide open space that's beautiful to uh, to see, but uh, pretty useless when it comes to uh, the economy of the building. And people who have worked there have complained about how difficult it is just to get around, et cetera. So while it is a, a kind of a, a, of significant architectural interest, it's not a very functional building. And many of the state offices already have moved out. Uh, and so it's really just a matter of time, in my view, before this thing is sold. Yeah, I haven't been in there since I was a state employee some 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, uh, if you'd like to see it in its heyday, the 1986 film Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines was partially shot <laughs> on site there. <laughs> and you can see it before it became this rundown pit. It, it, it was, you know, actually at one time a, a really lovely building, although, as you said, uh, very inefficient in the way it allocated its uh, its space. Uh, but it was kind of nice when you had to visit up there as a state worker and there was a full-blown food court right down there in the basement, easy access to lunch and then get back to work. So it had its charms back in the day, but uh, historic Hmm. Well, I guess we'll let that process yeah, play out. Yeah, yeah, we'll exactly. We'll we'll see how that turns out. We, um, but it, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just gonna we we're gonna take a break here, but go ahead and finish your thought. No, I was just going to say um, it, it does seem the momentum is moving toward uh, the sale and likely demolition of that building, but um, only time will tell. We don't know. There has been a move to keep to build the build to make the building part of a redevelopment of that block that would include a tall, tall tower. Uh, but yet save the building. We'll see ultimately what happens. I think the best idea was to turn it into a big water park, a big indoor water park. And it, it <laughs> seems ideally suited for that. So I'm, I'm holding out hope for that. All right. We've got more to come here. Full disclosure on this Wednesday morning. One quick bit of breaking news. There was a temporary hold placed on the Blue Origin launch. It's going to uh, send William Shatner into space. It was just brief. It was described as something for vehicle readiness. But they apparently have fixed the problem. And so now the Countdown is back on for launching Captain Kirk into space, and we will tell you more about that uh, coming up in moments here. We're back on full disclosure with the Better Government Association. We do this every Wednesday morning here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Grising is the president and CEO of the BGA. Uh, David, the fall veto session next week. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about as lawmakers return to Springfield for action there. One of the uh, pieces of legislation that might come up, and the Illinois Municipal League is pushing for this, uh, would be to uh, expand opportunities for public bodies to have uh, remote hearings, something that became 
very common during the pandemic. And a lot of bodies uh, simply convened by Zoom meeting where everybody was in their own locations and uh, members of the public could Zoom in and participate as well. And the Municipal League says that remote meetings actually offer more transparency and more opportunity for public participation. So they would like a change in the law that would allow uh, public bodies to continue to hold these meetings even absent a governor's emergency order, which, of course, is what uh, authorized uh, that uh, that procedure in the first place. Uh, I know this is probably not something the BGA's had a chance to formally evaluate yet, but any thoughts on uh, whether uh, more use of remote meetings is a good or bad thing in terms of public participation and uh, in public transparency? Well, at this point, we believe it's a mixed bag. Um, the municipal league has a point, um, but what they're overlooking is that um, uh, there are some equity concerns. One is uh, bandwidth in um, in some of the rural regions of the state, as well as in some of the uh, inner city areas, is not what it could be. And there's a, an equity uh, issue with regard to access to those meetings. Uh, that needs to be looked at. Um, the other is that... Um, uh, you know, we've looked at the question of as long as there is public notice, public comment, uh, and and that uh, remote viewers have access, access to everything shared in the room of a meeting, that would be, we you know, so far, it's my view, and, and I've consulted with our lawyer on this, uh, that m- might well be acceptable. Um, the thing is, though, Jim, you and I have both covered a lot of public meetings, and there's nothing quite like being in the room. And uh, to take that away uh, would would really uh, raise some concerns because there's nothing like face to face interaction that holds public bodies and public officials accountable. And so it you could work to, uh, to do sort of a hybrid. I think a move uh, fully to remote meetings would be a loss. There's also the issue though that the Muni League is trying to accomplish, where we ha- we've had in, in this pandemic time. People don't really know what the rules have been. For example, the BJ needed to sue the City Council of Chicago over some remote meetings that were held without any public notice and without public participation at the height of the George Floyd disturbances last summer, um, it's summer of 2020. And so um, rules of the road would be helpful, but they've got to be the right rules. We'll watch that uh, legislation. It could come up during the fall veto session. Uh, Before we let you go, David, uh, we uh, weren't able to get into this last week. We just simply ran out of time. But among the things you'll find at the Better Government Association website, bettergov.org, is their uh, PolitiFact Illinois fact check feature. Uh, There was an interesting recent fact check, and it had to do with a Republican lawmaker talking about uh, vaccination rates, and in particular, vaccination rates among Republicans. And the BGA uh, took a closer look at that. Well, right. State Senator Terry Bryan of Murphy, Murphy's Bureau um, talked about, uh, made a claim, we have no idea where she was coming from, of 75 percent of Republicans have been vaccinated. And um, we did the math, and uh, the, they, that just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. For starters, at the time she said this, the Department of Public Health in Illinois was saying that 62 percent of people in the state were um, vaccinated. That would mean if 75 percent were true, that Republicans were disproportionately getting vaccinated. And that would fly in the face of all the national data that we're seeing. Uh, The the most definitive is probably the Pew Research Center, which said that 60 percent of Republicans and 86 percent of Democrats nationwide are um, are getting vaccinated. And so we rated that claim uh, false. It's important, really, frankly, because, as we know, unfortunately, vaccination has become a very political issue. 
And if Republicans are choosing for whatever reason, whether it's because of pressure from uh, of the former President Trump and, and his uh, his acolytes to not get vaccinated or whatever is causing them to not be vaccinated, uh, that's their decision. It has its health consequences, which are unfortunate, but they ought to own up to what those numbers mean and not uh, put, be putting out falsehoods, making it seem like Republicans are getting vaccinated in disproportionately high numbers. Keeping everybody honest, and again, you can see that and many other important pieces of info at the Better Government Association website. It's where you can also get access to the newly launched podcast uh, that the BGA has put together. We talked about this last week, but we want to remind everybody again about what they will find when they uh, go there and uh, and check out the Madigan Rule. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we've gotten a we we we've far exceeded expectations on the pickup on this podcast. We've had thousands of people download this thing. It is a five part series about Mike Madigan and his reign over the state of Illinois, both for good and for ill. And in the episode that's just dropping today, uh, they're talk with two different governors with completely different perspectives on Mike Madigan. Um, Jim Edgar uh, talking about uh, how he Madigan with the, was the go-to person to get things done in Springfield. There's the story of how um, under Governor Jim Thompson, the White Sox were prevented from moving because Madigan sanctioned the letting time stand still because there was a midnight deadline. Literally the stopped actual, the clock. <laughs> stopped the clock. But then we have Governor Bruce Rauner talking about what a corrosive uh, influence Mr. Madigan was as speaker. We haven't gotten into the public corruption aspect, which ran him out of office. That'll come in episode five. But it's really interesting to hear the whole arc of the Madigan career. And we've gotten great response to this podcast so far. You won't want to miss out on it. All the cool kids are talking about it. And again, you can find out much more about it at the Better Government Association website. You'll find the fact checks. You'll find uh, lots of great investigative journalism. It's an invaluable resource. So David Grising, President President and CEO of the Better Government Association, tell people how to how they can reach you and the BGA the rest of the week. Sure thing, and thanks, Jim, for all those kind words. Um, I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org, and our website is bettergov.org. And here each week on Full Disclosure on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Grising, thank you so much. Have a great week. Talk to you next Wednesday. You too, Jim. Thanks. Bye-bye.